Let's get going here. This is uh, episode 49 of Utah in the Weeds. My name is Chris Hollifield. And I'm Tim Pickett, medical cannabis expert here in Utah. I'm excited. This episode is a recording of a conversation we had with Margie from the Hemp Folk up in Cache Valley, Utah. Such an awesome conversation. I mean, we got, I mean, she shared some fun story. Well, not fun stories, but funny stories that she had to deal with, with uh, even, the, even the postal system, shipping hemp through the mail. We'll get into that in the, in the conversation. This is one of those really down home local interviews. Like her stories are just classic troubles with the hemp and CBD industry. Right. It seems like she's had them all. This is a it was a fun to get to know her. And then obstacles she ran into uh, with the city. But but I don't want to give too many spoilers. We're going to we're going to get into that here uh, in just a minute. But you had you have some news going on with Utah uh, Marijuana dot org there. Yeah. Utah Marijuana dot org and our clinic side, Utah Therapeutic Health Center, has opened a location for medical cannabis evaluations right inside the same building as Wholesome Co. Uh, cannabis Pharmacy. We're inside the same building, the car building there in Bountiful. We have a separate space. Uh, we're not part of Wholesome. We have our separate space, so that's important to know. So this is a legal thing. I uh, want to make sure that there's that separation. I also want to talk about, Chris, we're, you and I are going to do a either a short episode or some more information, detailed information, probably next Friday, I hope, or a couple of weeks from now, where we're going to go through some of the legal changes over the legislative session. There's been some pretty big updates, including another retail license coming. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about all those laws. Yeah, and changing to the way people get their cards, hopefully a little sooner instead of having to wait for the state. So we'll give all those updates in an upcoming episode. Very cool. And then people can uh, go check out the podcast, utahmarijuana.org slash podcast. Go listen to them there and make sure you're subscribed and whatever a podcast outlet you're in that you listen to podcasts in. I mean, obviously the podcasts are free to listen to. So go check them out, go consume it. Some great content uh, about, about the cannabis community here in Utah. So uh, anything else you want to mention, Tim, or should we jump into this conversation with Margie? No, let's jump in. All right, here's that conversation that we had with Margie from The Hemp Folk. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the conversation. When did you start? uh, How long have you been hemp farming? So we started right when uh, Utah allowed hemp farmers to grow. That's in the 2019. So in 2018, we applied for growers' permits. We got them. And um, we've been farming for two years now in, in Utah. Yeah, and you your farm is up in Cache Valley. How how is that? Because it seems like that's not the ideal climate, right for for cannabis. Well, I think that it will depend on the strain that you're growing. But the strain oh, that see. we grew was the Hawthorne Express mostly. We also grew a bunch of other strains the first year that we got from um, Boulder Seed, and. There were some that were better suited for the climate than others. We grew a lot. We grew about three acres that first year outdoors. And there was um, one strain, San Cinco, that turned out awesome in the beginning. And it grew super big and it was great. And then like two windstorm happened right when they were almost mature and knocked maybe a quarter of them down. And so that was the big, like, there was so many things that we, we learned along the way. Every year brought, both years have brought um, 
something new. Something new, yeah. Yeah, that's I I mean I just think that the of course you're just you're learning something new. Did you have a lot of background in in hemp farming? Tell us a little bit about your background because that's that's really interesting. My background, so there's two of us. Um I am Margie Boretsky and there, we also have Natasha Quinones Rodriguez and I have a background in um landscape architecture. And in environmental plant, uh, environmental engineering, where I studied plant uptake of nutrients and metals. So I got a doctorate in how plants or the amount of nutrients and metals that uh, various plants in stormwater detention basins uh, up, took up, and the differences and the reasons we speculate on the reasons as to why different plants work better. Where the where the nutrients and the metals go, whether it's in the soils, in the water, in the pore water, or in the plants, in what part of the plant. So, if you wanted to look up my dissertations, those are super very thrilling, and I bet you would like them. But <laughs> <laughs> not dry, not dry at all. Natasha, on the other hand, has a horticulture degree from Puerto Rico, and so she uh, she was the day to day person who really made a lot of the um, decision-making when it came to, why is this plant yellow? And Natasha would be like, well, I believe that, and we need this. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's great. Because even though I have a degree in the uptake of plant, um, nutrients and metals in plants, my degree is not in how to keep plants alive. It's in what happens, right? So Natasha worked a lot with the plants, um, and and together we were great um, checks and balance system. I would do things like when I'm watering, I would be like one, two, three, four, next, one, two. And Natasha would be like, this one needs more. <laughs> and, 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 and we had this great like back and forth. I'm like, that, why did you do that, right? And I'd be very meticulous. And she'd be like, that one needs a little extra love of some kind. And, and so we would, we would go back and forth. And between the two of us, um, whatever we did worked and it worked well. We had quite a few people in the valley here, we had, uh, I don't want to name names, I, I guess maybe I can, but somebody from UDAF who would come up, so I just won't name a name, and they said, wow, this is one of the best grows, like as far as the plants themselves in, that, that they've seen in all of northern Utah. And it, it was true, we have a video up on our website if you wanted to see it down at the bottom where we had a little bit of drone footage and, and an interview with me, a friend of mine had um, done the video. I like looking at the video just to remind myself how beautiful it was. <laughs> like, I, w- I actually watched I watched that video a couple of weeks back, and I couldn't find what website is that on. Is that on the intentionalfolk.com website? Because I'm not seeing it on there. All the way down at the bottom is a web is a video. It um, it used to be thehempfolk.com, and it should now direct you. So we have issues with the website. And so we're rebranding. We have a farm that's called Intentional Growth Farm. And we have products that are called the Hemp Folk products, right? Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. Those are what I've seen online, right? Yeah. And so this is like still going to happen in the next couple of days. We're rebranding as Intentional Folk because we want to, one, merge the two together so that people know that the farm and the products are the same. But two, the products will still be called the Hemp Folk products. But two, because we don't have an e-merchant that will work with us. So we have e-merchant issues, which are very separate than the farm, but we have e-merchant issues. And so we, we, the, 
financial system has been very um, challenging for us so far. Yeah, it's that hemp CBD transacting, right? Like it's selling CBD products online and finding a merchant or a processor that will work with you. Is that really the big problem? So originally, uh, we're changing topics quite a bit, but originally uh, I had a bank account as a farm and that was fine. It was from a local credit union that I have like five other bank accounts with. And one day, just out of the blue, they're like, you're a marijuana-related industry. We no longer want to work with you. You have 30 days to get a new account. Wow. Yeah. And so I was like, well, crap. So I called a bunch of other banks that are hemp and cannabis-friendly banks. Three of them told me I'm much too small, that they're not even going to touch me. One of them said yes. And so I did all the paperwork, and I waited probably two or three months, came back to tell me that because I'm planning on selling more than 10% ingestibles on my website, they can't work with me because my profit, even though I would be I would be paying for them to check my bank account every month, right? And I cannot sell more than 10% profit from ingestibles because wow. of the different state laws. And so I'm, I'm without a bank, right, for months. And if um, I finally found a bank um, in a different city in Utah, and it says, we do business with hemp farmers in Utah, in Colorado, and Idaho, and I'm like, thank God. And they're like, yes, of course. And I gave them all my information. And they're like, you're out of our jurisdiction. I'm like, I'm in Utah. They're like, yeah, but you're not in our part of Utah. (laughs) Okay. Again, I'm so upset, right? I have a person on my LLC simply because they live near a different bank that really was willing to work with us. They are a member of our LLC simply because I needed a bank account. And that bank was willing to work with us. And I needed to live within their jurisdiction. And it was a different... Yeah. So that was that was huge. So now that was one hurdle as far as financial institutions go. Another hurdle then was the emergence. The website itself, like the platform that you're doing your website on, has to be um, marijuana and CBD friendly. For example, WordPress.com is not CBD friendly. WordPress.org is free and it is CBD friendly. But my website designer is like, let's go to Wix. They're CBD friendly. I'm like, okay, great. Let's do it. So we do it, and Square works with Wix, and Square has CBD-friendly. I mean, everywhere you go, it says CBD-friendly, CBD-friendly, except they ask me for information, and I give them the information. The next day, they ask me for the, the same same exact email, ask, you still need to provide us with information. So I give them more, right, because they ask for different types of um, permits and business registrations. And so I give them more. Third day, they asked me for the same thing, exact same email from no reply at squaresomething.com. And so I'm like, what am I not doing? Why, why are they not getting my information? On my website, it also says make sure that there's no medical claims on your website. I'm like, there's no medical claims on my website. We scour. We take just stuff off because we want to make sure there's no medical claims. A month later, they're like, we're sorry, you're disqualified. I'm like, for that month, I think I wrote 20 or 30 emails to customer service at square.com. I did live chats. Live chats mean, please tell us, type in what your problem is and we'll get someone to email you. They won't even, nobody calls you. Nobody talks to you. They have a phone number. The phone number says, I'm sorry, we're not taking customer service. <laughs> like customer, we're just not taking telephone numbers, even though they have a phone number, right? I couldn't get a single human to talk to me. Wow. That's crazy. That's really crazy. So do you feel like you have 
of all of that experience, now do you feel like you, you're solving that issue or is it becoming easier for you? I don't know how much I can tell you without getting myself in trouble how I'm navigating this because I've talked to different e-merchants and the problem with other e-merchants that I've had in the past, one, you pay 30-something dollars a month simply to have them. Two, it, there's like, instead of having a 4% fee, it's like 6 or 7 or 8%. Plus, there's a fee on top of that. Then, the two that I've talked to, both of them had a $40,000 limit um, minimum of sales you had to produce that month in order not to have an additional $300 fee. And I was like, wait, what? There's no way I can ever have that. I don't even know if I'll have $300 every month. I would hope, but I don't know right. this. Right? Like, and I don't have $300 to give them every month. You know, like, we're we're day-to-day here. And so it's been it's been challenging. I mean, the whole we thought that after our first year of heart, um, of growing, I remember telling Natasha and Natasha reminded me, I'm like, I took out the loans. I took out all of the financial risk. Right. I took the financial risk in the situation. And I said to her, I'm like, if we are struggling to pay labor because our crop is so beautiful and big and wonderful at the at harvest, we have done something right. And that's where we want to be. Right? Mm-hmm. So that first year, we do everything we can. We are struggling to find labor. We are struggling to keep up. We are finding storage locations because we can't believe how much um, crop we have. We had somebody who just came in and they just they did half of the field for us because it just was so overwhelming for us. Even though we were there every day, it didn't re- it didn't click how much how much um, vegetation that was. And I'm like, fantastic, right? We have this amazing crop. We have this amazing biomass. We have these amazing, um, we have these amazing flower because we started to to dry and to cure the flower. And now I'm like, I I don't know how to sell it, and I can't sell it. What used to be thirty dollars a pound for the biomass is now six. And I'm like, wait. So what you're telling me is, if I sell this to you, I have to go bankrupt. Okay. I can't do that, right? Like, I just can't do that. Like, I can't not pay off my debts, right? So right. How, do, how, do you, how do you go about this? Which is why we started the Hemp Folk and the Hemp Folk products. And, I mean, it was, and it was like within a month. We're like, okay, we need to, what, what do we know? We know that hemp, the flower isn't selling. We know that there are processors. And we know people are still buying. The buying hasn't stopped. So we quickly... We, we, as, as the, the, um, is it like the, what, what would be called, what would it be called? The, the go-to phrase during the beginning of COVID, you need to pivot. Well, we pivoted long before, <laughs> like we pivoted long before COVID started, right? Like we were like, ah, like, so we, we, we did anything and everything we could to try to stay afloat. Um, we both have full-time jobs this year trying to and then we still have a farm we still have a warehouse we still have a um the products we still sell everything we're still trying to get the webs like everything is still going on it's just uh more intense more hurdles to jump over it sounds like yeah i mean it sounds like you're still dealing with dealing with the the banking and the e-commerce type stuff and hopefully that really gets better, right? You're you're threading this needle with the financial system, but at the same time, you dealt with the you talked about the the crash in hemp prices, oh, yeah. right? From thirty dollars to six dollars, and we've talked to multiple people about that. Um, our, when we talked to Kyle Egbert, 
Um, you know, he described that too up at Cleanleaf. And just the 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 fact is the biomass market just tanked. Just crashed. Right. It just crashed. But remind me what caused that, Tim. Did did we talk about that? What what you know, why did the biomass remember. market crash? What was Margie, the reason? You- I think it was simply because there was a two thousand um in two thousand nineteen uh, in two thousand eighteen, Utah allowed for hemp to be sold, uh to be grown via the 2014 Farm Bill, right? right? But the 2018 also passed the Farm Bill. So other states automatically allowed hemp to grow. So all of a sudden, we're going from, the numbers are off, but from a handful of states growing hemp to, you know, 20s, 30s states that are growing hemp. Thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of hemp. Everybody had the price stayed at $30 per pound, I would have been sitting much prettier than I am right now. And everybody else would have, but, but just, it was so much, it was there just was so much biomass because all of the farmers who just decided, you know what, this is a, this is going to be a great opportunity. Yeah. Prices are 30 bucks. We're just going to grow hemp. But then everybody kind of ran into the same problem you did, right? Yeah. You, you, who it's do hard I sell to bank. it to? Yeah. Who, who are you going to sell it to? And so the market just crashes. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Who was the plan to sell it to before you even started farming, though? Was there a plan in place there of, of how that would work there? So there were the processors who would have bought it if they weren't inundated. Okay. And, but because they were inundated, they, were, they started doing the 50-50 contracts or the um, something along those lines. Or they were like, we don't want to do the 50-50 contracts. We want to do the only... You know, we only want to sell it for six, seven dollars a pound. And at that point, you're like, okay, well, then who else wants to sell it to buy it? I can sell my flower. It's cured and it's beautiful and smokable. But who's who can legally buy it? And that was a lot. Oh, trying to mail uh, hemp that first year was intense. Uh, I got I got good stories about mailing hemp as well. There's there's been a lot of good stories. What? Let's hear one of your good stories then about mailing hemp before we forget. So this is you selling smokable hemp flour to somebody in another state, right? right. Because you can't sell it in Utah. Can't sell it in Utah. So I'm selling it across state lines. Now, it's federally legal. Well, okay, yes. But it smells like weed. It smells like weed. And the FedEx (laughs) may or may not get sent it someplace. Um, UPS may or may not. They both have policies in place saying they they will not send hemp. But they haven't fix the policy to say, yes, we will, I guess is more accurate. The post office has a policy in place. We will, it is federally legal. We are a federal entity. Hemp is legal. All right. So I think the first time something happened with the mail is that I'm sending it to a lab in Nevada to get tested, to see what we have. Once it's been cured, it's been, you know, harvested, cured. We want it tested. Nothing's coming back. And I'm like, I need this because I need to be able to sell it. I don't know what I'm going to say, right? I don't yeah. know what the CBD percentage is. I don't know if it passes all of the all of the requirements. And a week later, nothing. Two weeks later, they're like, we don't have anything. And I'm like, what the hell? So I called the post office, and I think I had kept a track of it that time. I think I spent 10 hours on the post office um, phone waiting for people to answer. Once people answer, they tell me there's not much they could do, blah, blah, blah. Finally get to a place, I get a a letter in the mail saying, call this number, 
And so I called the number, and the lovely lady's like, okay, so that's what you think. Okay, somebody will call you back. And I was like, uh, uh-huh. So now it's been another week. Somebody does call me back, and they say, oh, it's industrial hemp. Can we open it up? I'm like, yeah, go for it. It's industrial hemp. All of the information is in there. Our grow permit is in there. Everything is in there. Okay. Now, mind you, on the on the tracking of the package, it said no such number, <laughs> right? It didn't say... It said that I put the address in wrong. It didn't say picked up by the postal inspectors, which is very ironic because I actually work for the post office now. <laughs> so, so I think that it's I think it's pretty cool that I get a job at the post office and I'm like, all right, people, so tell me all these things. Mm-hmm. I've even met some of the postal inspectors that have inspected my packages, which is also very cool, almost by accident. But I, I mean, how cool is that, right? Like, <laughs> That's awesome. I, I know, now I get to ask them about stuff all the time. But so this is now three weeks since I originally sent the package. I sent a different package via FedEx, probably illegally, but I'm like, I need to try something else, right? Because I need the results. And so that already comes. I already got my results. And now the original package finally gets to the lab. We have issues because they think I'm wanting to get that analyzed again and they charge me again. And I'm like, wait, no. Right? There's just all these things that are constantly happening, all these little little roadblocks. But they finally get it. The second time this happens, we send it to um, a smoke shop somewhere in the Oregon, Washington coast. And it's similar, right? It's a sim- And now this time, some the person who ends up calling me back, I don't freak out because for a while I was like, are they going to come to my house, knock down my door? I don't know, right? Like you just don't know what's going to happen. Everything was so new at the time. The second time I get a person on the phone and he was lovely. He tells me, you know, people on the post office line, they don't, they don't see a package, smell it, and they don't know what the difference between marijuana and hemp is. And I'm like, but on the box, it says certified industrial hemp. He goes, they're thinking it's marijuana. They put it here. But yes, you have every right to send it. I'm like, but now it's four days later, right? Like the hemp might have been sitting in the sun the whole time and gotten mold. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, you know what we can do? We can put you on the vetted list. So I'm on the postal vetted list, right? Which is a good thing. Everybody should be on the postal vetted list. I have no idea how to get on this vetted list. All I know is he sent me an email. I sent him back information. I got on a list. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. That is really So basically cool. your packages won't get messed with anymore. No, they still do because I sent 100 pounds, six different packages, oh 30 pounds gosh. each. <laughs> this is a $25,000 load that I'm uh, package uh, that I'm shipping yeah. to California to California and I have signature confirmation right all of, all of the things and it gets stopped and I'm like well crap so I finally call the postal inspectors and I'm like listen I'm on the vetted list just talk to me they find five out of the six boxes they're like okay they're sitting over here but it's been like four or five six days by the time they get it it's a week the people who get it, they happen to get, they're, they're a um, marijuana dispensary, but they're you know, buying hemp from me. They have happened to have gotten robbed at gunpoint or something, so they, they're busy. By the time I call them, they tell me that all of my stuff is moldy. Oh, wow. $25,000. Just down there? Wow. So you, you lost it? I lost it. Oh, my gosh. So this is crazy. So what, I mean, what are you supposed to do? Just drive it yourself? I think that that is, that's your best bet. I mean, at, at this, this point, point for if 20, I ever have a... Yeah, for $25,000, I'll drive to California too. But 
<laughs> but still, you, I mean, you can sign me up. I'll start delivering for you. But uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to pay you the whole thing, Tim. <laughs> no, of course not. That is pretty interesting that you can still get on the vetted list. Even on the vetted list, even at, they had no problems with it. It's just that it had to go. It had to go through the process. It seems like if you tried to, I mean, you can't mail it to customers. I mean, it just seems like you, you it gets lost. They take it. I mean, it gives you a bad name to these customers because these people aren't understanding why they're not getting it because they're like, well, it's legal. Hemp is legal. Why can't I get it delivered in the mail? That's crazy. I just can't believe it. It just seems like it's hard to. So what, what needs to be done to stop it? I mean, I guess just full legalization of everything is really the. The only way to stop that, or or what do you what do you think the way around that one is? Our process now is that when we send it, one, absolutely hundred percent, it's not only in a, a smell proof container, locked container. It is in like three baggies, three separate baggies, three different sizes. There, there cannot be smell because as soon as there is smell of any kind, people love catching this, right? They love catching mm-hmm. it. It's a game. Yeah. They feel like they're like a hero. They're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And to them, I mean, I had, at one point I had on the top of the boxes, I said, I am on the USPS vetted list. This is industrial hemp. Please call this number if you need anything, right? Like I was, and they're like, they still stopped the same, the, one of those packages. Hmm. It just had to go through the due process because you're like, what if she's going? Right. And That's... I don't know what the, I don't, maybe, maybe if uh, like the post office offers you would have to always uh, go through your, whether it's Click and Ship or Shippo or Shopify, right? You would have to have a designation in when you print your labels and pay for your labels that yes, I am a vetted industrial hemp firm. But up in this, up for now, there's, that hasn't happened. That doesn't happen. So who knows? And I, and I would imagine all hemp farmers are running into this. I mean, it's it's obviously uh, uh, you you know it's everybody. Yeah, this that's seems running like into, a, which is crazy. A system problem, right? That the yeah. and it really is. It's interesting because on the other side, there seems to be so much CBD out there right now, right? And there's so many products, good, bad. You know, your products are good, vetted products locally. You're like. Farm to table CBD, right? That's the whole idea. It really is. Cash Valley cheese, Cash Valley hemp. <laughs> well, not only is it farm to table, we the process that we use is a traditional extraction process. So our some of our products do have distillate in it, but most of our products and a large majority of the CBD comes from traditionally extracted methods. I mean, it's not even going through alcohol or through a CO2 extraction process. So talk to us a little bit about that, that, that traditional extraction methods, like when you make your oil or when you make your gummies. So uh, for the people who have done it themselves, think can of butter, but we use coconut oil. I've worked in a lab for seven years, right? Getting my PhD. That's what I did is I did lab research and field research. And so I knew how to, um, with a coefficient to to account for loss, I knew how to calculate if I put in this much hemp flour and the hemp flour has this much percent CBD with a coefficient of probably 80 to 85% of it is going to stay in the oil, how much 
CBD am I going to have in the oil? And when I did the calculation the first time and then we had a, the certificate of analysis for the coconut oil, I was stunned how close I was. <laughs> I was like, holy crap, we could do this and we could do this over and over again. And so we just have to make sure that this happens with, you know, a, a process, like in working with a processor, right? So I've had, I've been fortunate that I was friends with two different processors and I get to work under, with them at their place under their license to get this done. And it's been, and I just do it for myself. I'm not trying to make, because I use my plants and we only use the flower that's been trimmed. And, and because that way I know exactly what I'm putting into the oil. If I was to put biomass in it, I, it wouldn't work. And it wouldn't be um, concentrated enough. Interesting. Huh. That's interesting. I really like this um, idea. Like this really is, this is the classic farmer's market hemp to me. This is what it, it sounds like to me, right? This is not an industrial processed farm. This is a small farm. Do you want to grow bigger? Do you want to do more? Or do you want to just stay farm to table? Do we want to grow bigger? Do we want to grow more? Or do we want to stay farm to table? I asked Natasha because Natasha loves to grow. There is nothing more beautiful than being, especially towards um, the end of August, September, October, like the very beginning. October becomes a little too busy. So I guess September is like this beautiful time. There's nothing more beautiful. Like, I would stay at the farm 24 hours a day, right? You truly would. There's nothing more lovely than being there, being inundated with the beautiful smell and the, like, you you know that this plant is a good plant. Like, it, it just brings so much happiness. Everybody who comes are like, oh, it's so nice. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's so nice. It's so beautiful. And the plants are beautiful and, and like, all the birds and the we had a we had a herd of um, rodeo horses run through, but while the plants were still babies, so it, everything turned out fine. But it was really like it, it was really really cool, right? Like in every like it's so beautiful. I would love that. And Natasha, if she could, that's all she would do. That's that she would stay out at the farm. She would not do any of this other stuff. But we have to do what we have to do. Mm-hmm. How how big is your farm now? Did we even talk about like how many plants or how many acres your farm is now? So originally in 2019, the farm was 3,800 plants or so, something under 4,000 plants. And again, we we could not physically harvest because we did it all by hand. We could not physically harvest half of it. So somebody else, they ended up taking our plants from us. And um, for in theory, we're splitting the profits, but we haven't seen anything from that yet. It's okay. It totally worked out fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> um Last year we went smaller. How many plants did we have last year? Uh, two thousand. Two thousand, and we had we had about two thousand plants last year, and that was much much more doable. And we focused this year not on biomass. Um, there's no reason for us to do biomass at this point. So we focused on getting the flower. We want because it grows outside. Everybody should worry about plants growing outside. Any plants um, when you get it uh, tested for the um, microbial uh, populations. Outside plants will very um, often have aspergillus. And so in order for us to combat, and I mean, every carrot will have that, every everything will have that. But if you're on a farm, it's very likely you'll have aspergillus. And so some of our flower last year that was outside flower, because we also have a greenhouse, right? Um, Some of the outside flower had aspergillus. So in order to combat that, 
what we've done is we actually wash the plants at, right after harvest. We actually take every single physical plant, dip it into a hydrogen peroxide solution, dip it into a water solution, dip it into a water solution, dip it into a water solution, then hang it up to dry. And that kills all of the, uh, the aspergillus so that we know, and I can feel super comfortable being like, you could smoke this, you can eat this, you could do whatever you want. Like, like everything. Now imagine doing all that and still not having anyone to sell this to. And, and you like, you lose, you lose hope that this is ever going to work. Like it was so much work. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Like truly, we have so much fun and everybody, like we have a group of people here from that are like 18, well, maybe 19 is the youngest that we have to a woman who's in her sixties who comes and helps all the time. Right. And just because everybody just loves hanging out. This is fun. This is a fun, great thing to do. And you, you feel like you're a part of something. And I think that that's like thus far, that's probably why we're still doing it again. So this year we, we grew the 2000 plants. We only focused on the, on the flower so that we had much less, um, shed space that we needed to have to, to dry. And um, we're just focusing on curing them. Margie, I was reading somewhere on your website uh, a couple weeks ago when we were originally going to talk to you that you guys, uh, you grow edible mushrooms too there on the farm or something like that? Or you did? We still do. Um, under our umbrella, Natasha, so Natasha's here, but we don't have two headphones. So I'm I'm, I'm going back and forth with her. Sure. Um, we actually also grow edible mushrooms. So we grow, um, all right, tell me the names because I've forgotten. Pink oyster, king oyster. There's the different types of oysters. There's the pink, the king oyster. We have the shiitake. We have mm-hmm. lion's mane. Um, and what we've done is, so it's the same farm. It's just at a different location. This one is on a residential property, but we have a greenhouse that we grow them in and uh, do all of the sterilization and that's necessary for we mushroom grow growing. What was that? We grow them hemp stocks. Oh, and we, so one of the reasons we did that is because we had all these hemp stocks. And we're like, well, what are you going to do with this? You can't, if you burn it, it smells like weed, right? And at the whole, you know, all, all of Cache County, the sheriff department's going to come. So we don't want to burn it. <laughs> and, and uh, well, and, and we could always compost it, but we're like, what can we do with this? So we grow them on hemp stalks. Oh, so our hemp stalks then, so grow in, we put the mushroom, um, the, what, what's the, what's it called? Uh, we inoculate, we inoculate them in, in the hemp stalks. This is cool. And then what do you do with those? Do you sell those? Do you just eat them up? Both. <laughs> we, <laughs> mushrooms are so good. Um, we, we, we try to sell them for now. Uh, as long as we're, we were going to have a market here in cat in, um, Logan that, we were going to do Monday Mushroom Mondays, but we didn't have enough interest, so we were trying to finish the the mushroom greenhouse. So we're doing all of the things at once, right? Imagine, like it it was it was a little um, it went back and forth, and we did what we could when we could. So for right now, it just was cold, so we just decided that we had to build another shed so that we didn't have to do the sterilization inside of a small kitchen. We built a shed so that we can have the sterilization done there. And that way, uh, that's right next to the mushroom greenhouse. And then we, it'd be an easier back and forth instead of trying to get it all. Cause you have to have it all sterile. And so we have these, um, 20 gallon totes that we 
have little holes in and you'd have to put in your hands inside of like you know the the gloves and then you work with it and try to inoculate the the hemp stalks and just to make sure that because as soon as you get any bacteria in there it'll the bacteria will overtake it oh wow it's an interesting process and it's all Natasha. Like, I would love to be able to take the credit for this, but truly, it's all Natasha. I know how I've been helping, right? Like, all of the things. But truly, this was a Natasha uh, brainstorm idea that she's like, I just want to try it. I want to learn how. And she's been all over it since then. Yeah, it's super cool. And I think that they go together, honestly. I mean, I think that the... Well, you know, we got to be ready for the future. Yeah, and that's really the point is you, <laughs> you need to learn how to grow these things because the research around mushrooms is it's going to come fast um mushrooms are good yeah when it comes and like psychedelics come as far as from a medicine standpoint i've been doing myself a lot of research on you know addictions and resetting the narrative for people man we gotta we will talk more about that when that comes down the road but um the potential is is just huge, and if it, I'm really hoping that the narrative that the um, just the everyday narrative around the United States changes, it, and it has been starting to change, which is which is a positive, right? Like we all want that. Yeah. Well, maybe not all of us. All of us that are not scared of it want it. Yeah. We have to have something else r- rather than chemical pharmaceuticals. Like truly, there has to be something. Yeah. So go back to this uptake of nutrition and uptake of of this, all of this stuff that gets put into this plant. How does your education really adjust you, like what you're doing for these plants? Can you can you manipulate what they're what they're taking in? It it seems like you could. Absolutely. I could, but I haven't. Like, to be honest, like, uh, what I know how to do right now is to document what we have been doing. I know what we've, I know that I, once, do you know, like, I am not in a position where I could be like, you know what, this week I'm going to focus on something that I don't have to do to make food readily available on my table, right? Like, I just don't have the, because it does take brain power and it takes physical time to try to get these things done. And I don't have the access to a laboratory to take more tests. I, I think what the benefits of my education truly are is that I am so completely process driven, right? Like I don't do things because I think it's a good idea. I do things because wait, if I do point A, it should get me to point B. And if once we get to point B, we see that it's either going to go C or D. And if it goes C, this is what we should do. And if it goes D, this is what we should do. And that's how I, that's how we, that's why Natasha and I work so well together because I'm like, wait, 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 we're at D. We're not at C. You can't keep doing that. Right? And, and so we go back and forth. We, and we were constantly um, assessing and repositioning ourselves to try to get the best, to get the best results. That said, I think that what we've run into last year, so into 2020 was just, time and energy roadblocks, right? And I think that those were probably two of our largest roadblocks. We didn't have the time to do all the things we wanted to do, and we sure didn't have the energy to do all the things we wanted to do. With that, we don't have the money to pay someone to do those things either, right? So it, it was, it was we did the best we could knowing that some things had to give. And in agriculture, oftentimes something has to give. 
I think any farmer will tell you that that's obvious. That's, that's not an option to try to do all the things you want to do. It's, it's a matter of what you can do. This is an inspiring story, I feel like. I really like this. <laughs> Thanks. So it looks like people can buy your products right on your website, too, on the intentionalfolk.com or hempfolk website, right? That's correct. Uh, in the state of Utah, I have a retail license, uh, and we can sell any product in this, any of our five products in the state of Utah. So we have gummies, tinctures, body butter, and topical oil, and lip balm. But, I mean, online, I can sell anything just about to anybody. I do ha- like, you have to know what is um, legal in your state, and the burden is at that point on the, on the buyer, not on the, not on the producer. Right. But in Utah, you can sell all of this stuff and you have your COAs right there online. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're, they're all there. So uh, those five products, absolutely. And now the, the bill passed, right? So we can start selling hemp flour in the state of Utah. It just has to be registered with the state and you have to have COAs for it post-harvest, not the pre-harvest that the state does for you. Got it. Not the, not the stuff that says, okay, this is not hot. Right. This yes. is this has less than 0.3 percent THC, but now you can start selling smokable flour to a consumer as long as it is labeled, as long as it clearly states that it's, which I think is strange, uh, that it's for medical purposes only, and it does not look like candy, not for anyone under 21, and it has to have 0.3 percent total THC or less. So even if so, even though it's that's the law for hot. You can't sell it also. I see. If it's above the 0.3, even after harvest and after carrying. And if you're lucky, if the post office doesn't catch it and hold right. on to hold it. Hold on right? to they, it. <laughs> especially in Utah here and mailing it within the Put state. It it's like. Sun. I get, it, it really is. It's kind of like a dog chasing after a squirrel or something, right? They're like, ah, it smells, right? Like, and people just get excited. They do. Uh, okay, so theoretically, I can go to the farmer's market next next summer, right? And I could buy smokable craft grade hemp. Oh, I don't know. If it was if it I was don't labeled know about that theoretically maybe, yeah. I think your problem's going to be tested. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Hold on. So I don't think that that's actually accurate. I think in the bill it does say that it cannot be for smoking. It can be for vaping. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no flames, no flames. Well, and, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I think right. of smoking, I just think of vaping. To you be know, honest, it's, it's... that's what I think about too. Me, me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah. We're just yeah. yes, but this is awesome, this though. is a pretty big deal. I hope somebody does that at a farmer's market. I hope I somebody, hope so especially you know, too. the downtown Salt Lake or or Park Silly. I don't think it'll be in Logan. I do not. Think so. <laughs> <laughs> I still have last summer. I asked to sell my CBD products that are a hundred percent legal, registered in the state of Utah. Every all of the paperwork, all of the registrations, they didn't want it. Oh wow! And I mean, I'm like, I grow it here. I produce it here. Yeah, you're you're, I, you're, I you're the reason it, yeah. they like farming in Cache Valley. The whole point up there, Utah oh, I State. About that is like one of the world's top uh, horticulture educations, education centers, right? The School of Agriculture is, is, yeah, world-renowned. Yeah. It's really, but there's still a stigma, and uh, dealing with that stigma, so I will say this, I don't know if the stigma's changed or if I've changed. The first year before this all, um, 
Can I tell? Do we have enough time for one more? Like really? Yes. I got all the time. Go ahead. <laughs> all right, you could edit half of this out, like more than half. You could edit most of this out. I. It is March. It's still snowing outside, and I. Know, oh, all right. I'll backtrack a little bit. I was uh, working for a federally funded grant program for sustainable ag. I won't say where. It's easy to find where I worked, but I'm not going to say, okay? And I told the farmer friends of mine, good friends of mine, this is happening. You guys have to grow hemp, right? And they're like, Margie, we're so stinking busy. We can't do one more thing. And I'm like, come on, please grow hemp. This is like the coolest thing in the world. Like, God, what a dream come true. And they're like, that's why we're giving you land to grow hemp. And I'm like, what? And they're like, you do it. And I was like, okay, so that's how I started to grow hemp, okay? Big so, shout out to them. Uh, and a big shout out to Mount Naomi Farms uh, up in Cache Valley. If you guys ever have, like, a, an event mm-hmm. that needs to happen, this is, like, so beautiful. It's, like, this super high-class barn in a real working dairy with a real vineyard. Like, unbelievable. Like, these people are so, so amazing, right? But they also grow alfalfa, and they wanted to get, gift me and lease to me, for very reasonable price, three acres of land, right? And help me out all year long for the last two years. And so I'm driving by, it's March, and I'm telling a friend of mine, hey, friend, look at this call. My, my farm's going to be right around here somewhere, right? And I'm, I'm like all excited. It's 7, 8, 9 p.m. It's dark outside. And Someone's in front of me going pretty fast. Someone's behind me also going fast. I'm like, ah, it's going too fast. I don't know where I'm at, right? It's the middle of the night. I've only been there maybe five times, and I've taken the back roads. And so I'm like, I'm just going to pull over, check my GPS. Okay, cool. I pull over, check my GPS. The car, car behind me isn't going forward. And so I roll down my window. I'm like, just go, just go. It's a state trooper. It's a sheriff. <laughs> And I get really stupid. Like, I'm a smart person, but I get really stupid when I'm nervous, right? Like, I talk a lot. I tell everybody everything. Like, there's nothing that, of course, everything is good. Everything is good. I'm going to be a hemp farmer. I'm going to have, like, all of the wrong things come out of my mouth. (laughs) Anything that I shouldn't have said, I said to the the sheriff, right? Mm -hmm. Turns out sheriff lives in that neighborhood. Sheriff knows that there's you know, adopted kids, foster kids. And when they start selling hemp as marijuana at the high school, whose fault is that going to be? And we don't want no outsiders in our backyard, right, selling, growing this bad stuff. And it was really interesting because this is a sheriff, and he obviously knows so much, but all wrong. Do you know, like, just like, just twisted enough where I'm like, that's not true. Like, so many of the things you said are correct. That's not true. Yeah. Right? Like, like so, and it was really, really interesting how that type of information is so dangerous. Now, mind you, I had no way of defending myself. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Should I write a letter? Should I tell everybody? Right? Like, I, I, was, I was just completely and utterly not at my best at that moment. And um, my friend just was like, shut up, right? But uh, I, I didn't know how to stop myself. So fast forward, um, I, tell my, I tell the people, um, the, the owners of the farm that you know, this happened. They're like, did we ask them if the subdivision could come in? No, this is legal. This is my land. You're fine. 
I was like, okay, got to buy a gun. Get a concealed weapon. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what's going to happen, right? I do not know what's going to happen. A couple, like a month later, I get a phone call from some folks that I happen to know, also in the industry. One of them lives in that neighborhood, asks me, did you get stopped by a cop the other, like a week or two ago? And I'm like, how the hell would you know? How how would you possibly know that this happened? He goes, oh, we had a neighborhood meeting. He brought you up about how some outsider girl is going to come in and she's going to ruin our our neighborhood. Wow. That's horrible. That's horrible. Wow. So have they been somewhat more receptive? No, they've been not. Okay. They've been lovely. I can't, I like, I'm scared. Don't get me wrong. I am scared. I had hunters who would normally come and hunt on that uh-huh. land with their gun, with their rifles. And I have my cameras up and I'm like, oh my God. Right. Like, but everybody's been kind. Everybody's been nice. That's good. But the fear was huge. Like the fear was a, like we, we got concealed weapons permits. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> You can't put on the on the actual podcast that we actually don't have any weapons. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but we could, yep. right? You guys are that's um, this is awesome. Well, I'm so glad that you came on the podcast. I mean, you got some you got some great stories. I've uh, no. And I'm sure that there's more. Like, truly, this has been such a crazy, amazing experience. Right? Like, and I, and I don't know how I'm going to, like, to, to, to your question, Tim, I don't know how I'm going to put this together with my dissertation research. I really, is there a way? There's a million ways. I was asked to give a bunch of information to the university, and I'm like, I could, but then what will I have? Yeah, I, but I think, you know, you, you've done, it seems to me like you have done something that you set out to do. You've done your own research in a small way. You're doing something that, you know, a lot of people are talking about industrial hemp and biomass and, you know, this, the extraction processes. And we talked to, we've, we've talked to quite a few people in this, in this hemp space and everybody has such a different perspective on it. And, your perspective is really truly from this local, you know, this the the local farmer perspective. What do you do? You know, how do you go how do you go out there? What are the hurdles? And people need to hear that because this is it's coming back. It will get easier. But the process of getting to the point where it's easy, to where you can go down to the farmer's market and you can buy some hemp flour or you can buy some CBD body butter that was made you know, in your town with natural extraction methods, the process to get us to that point is so ridiculous that that's the real story that I think people need to understand. It's not just learning how to be a farmer and grow tomatoes and you take the best tomatoes down and sell them. It's the sheriff. It's the permits. (laughs) It's the weather, the rodeo ponies. It's the, you know, it's, of dipping your dipping it in hydrogen peroxide and then water and so that it's safe. It's the testing, right? All of that testing. Of testing. Every time you have a product that is registered in the state of Utah, someone's paid a thousand dollars because between the COA and now, mind you, that's I have a tincture that's a one ounce, and it, in order to test it, 
it's a thousand well it's six hundred dollars plus three hundred I think it's twenty dollars for the registration mm-hmm. right now I changed that to make it fl- strawberry flavored I have to go through a thousand dollars that's crazy I change it just to make a different size it's a thousand dollars again like that's why I have five products like I I can do all sorts of great products and they're coming. It's a matter of making sure that I have that. What, what I tell, uh, what I tell um, Natasha all the time and, and anyone who's listening uh, out there in podcast world is what I need is an investor who's got about a hundred thousand dollars that knows high risk commodity marketing, because this is considered a high risk commodity. Mm-hmm. And if someone has high risk uh, ways of knowing how to sell this, I'd be interested because I don't need an investor that knows how to grow. I don't need an investor who knows how to do any of those, any of these other things. I, at this point, need to figure out how to manage the realm of being able to get this out on the market because you can't do Google ads. You can't do Instagram ads. Facebook will take you down, right? Like Like every single, if you're selling blankets like it's easy within a couple minutes you set up your website right you you get your facebook people out there you you know you buy one of those ad things where you get a couple extra thousand followers and you you're on your way oh no it's not it's not nearly that you you just can't do it nope and if you try to do it they'll take (laughs) you down because then you're hemp right like so i'm like okay like so you, you you play this game okay i'm on instagram I do sell, I sell CBD products, but definitely not on Instagram. Instagram is just about how lovely my life is, right? So, <laughs> but, and, and you play this game, like, I would love to be able to put an ad on there, but yep. I can't. I would love to be able to say, buy my products, but I can't. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's it will interesting. Get, it, I know it will get better, and you really are doing all the right things. This is, it's just really cool. It's cool to meet you and, you know, hear your story. You guys are awesome. Margie, anything you want to add before we wrap this episode up? Any any uh, uh, final words or comments or something that we didn't cover in this conversation that you were hoping we did cover? So the easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, email, phone, or website, right? Just the average, the normal avenues. I text. So if you want to get a hold of me, 764 435 the area code. So 435-764-6666. Email address is thehempfolk.com. No, thehempfolk at gmail. Thehempfolk at gmail.com. And that is on your website, right? And we are rebranding to Intentional Folk. And that the website will be intentionalfolk.com. But give us a week or two before that actually happens. Yeah, intentionalfolk.com. Our Instagram page, if you want to see really like good Good information um, with a lot of our products, a lot of our plants. We'll see more and more of the um, the farm is the hemp folk. It's just at the hemp folk. And again, that, that will be changing to at intentional folk. And that's, I think that this is so typical of this industry. Like we have, like, I would love to be able to tell you that it's, it's good. It's the hemp folk and that's all I'm doing, but I can't. And it's not because I don't want to. It's just. Yeah. I needed to figure out a way to be able to sell products. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, I mean, it's always changing, you know, that that'll be the case for a little while at least. That's why you always have to stay on the, you know, the news of, yep. of what's going on in the industry, listening to all the, the podcasts and news outlets and so on and so forth. So, 
So I would like to add one thing, Chris, can I? Yeah, of course. So I want to add, I think that um, Tim definitely is more in the marijuana Uh realm. And what I want to talk about is why I think, and I'm not a medical doctor, but why I think CBD has a place for both smokable, ingestibles, and and so forth, right? CBD, because it doesn't give you the, the head high, it does provide more and more of the pain relief. It helps with the inflammation. It helps with balancing out your endocrine system, right? So because of that, I have more a lot of friends who happen to also be more in the marijuana realm. And they're like, your products don't work. I'm like, no, you just don't feel it. But the effects are yes. there, right? And I think that that's, that's one of the hurdles that I'm recently started to try to address. I'm realizing that it's the older folks in the 50s, 60s, 70s that are starting to realize I want to not have pain every day that are starting to take my products. And they're like, this is the first time I've slept in three days in, um, for three days in a row for nine hours at a time in years, but they don't get the high. So it's, it's hard to know if it's working, but it's, it's not if you're looking for a high, you, you don't notice it as much. If you're looking to smoke hemp and get high and to get an instant obvious effect, it's so it's a lot harder to you have to be there you have to be ready for the small changes, not for a big obvious one, like like you get with THC. Yeah, you, yeah. you make a really good point and it's a good way to close out because the because you are right. And if somebody is looking for an introduction to cannabis, but they don't want to get stoned, right, or high, then CBD products mm-hmm. are the way to go. They're, they're a good introduction. You can always try, you can always increase things, right? You can always yeah. try things and then go to different products if one thing doesn't work. But it's a good way to try you know, to, to introduce yourself to cannabis is CBD products. And there's different ways to, in case people don't know, there's, you can ingest cannabis, you can smoke cannabis, but you can also topically apply cannabis and it won't cure things, but holy crap, is it helpful to reduce the pain? Oh yeah. After lifting some heavy weights or something like that, throw some of that that cream on there. Damn. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's just a, it's a balance. It's restoring balance. The endocannabinoid system is a system for homeostasis, and sometimes you just have to supplement. I, I and I'd much rather try something like uh, something that's cannabis related, made from cannabis, versus something that's made from some new chemical that they've came up. Exactly. With. I'm so glad we got you on the podcast, Margie. Thanks, Chris. I'm so glad. Thanks I could for be coming here. on. We'll we'll have to bring you back through down the road, you know, and see how the farm's yeah, see going. How the farm's and see how going. things are going. Intentionalfolk.com. Yeah, this has been fun. Your website, go check out your stuff. Tim, how can really quickly uh Utahmarijuana.org is how people can uh check out more uh of what you got going on. Utahmarijuana.org slash podcast is where people can listen to the podcast. Yep, Utahmarijuana.org slash podcast. All of them are up, Chris, and uh you you release them every Friday morning, 4.20. Every Friday morning, 4.20 a.m. Make sure you're subscribed in your favorite podcast player. If for some reason we're not in a podcast player, reach out to Tim or myself and let us know so we can make sure to get the podcast there. So yep. otherwise, you have a good night, Margie. And uh, All right. Stay safe out there.